Philippians 3, 7 through 14. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Last, uh, last week we started uh, sort of a new mini-series, I guess I'd call it. And we're looking at uh, Romans chapter 12, the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. And uh, some of you were complaining that I didn't progress through the text, that I was progressing through the text we were studying too fast. So I thought I would slow down. And we're, so we're going to take... Uh, you know, several weeks to talk about two verses just to make the complainers happy. No, just... <laughs> no, nobody actually complained about that. But last week, we started... Uh, we, we had a sermon last week on the word therefore at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. And uh, so we had a sermon about one word. And... But I only got halfway through it, so... Uh, today we're going to, in fact, I didn't even finish getting halfway through it, so today we're going to finish last week's sermon, and then next week we're going to have the second sermon on the word therefore at the beginning of the Romans chapter 12. All that's supposed to be funny, but okay. <laughs> Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a very, very important text in the Bible. It... Uh, one way of titling it would be to say the title of these two verses is The Christian Religion Defined. Because the vocabulary of this text in the New Testament is religious. Now, if you know me or if you've been coming to church here for any length of time, you know I don't even like to use the word religious or religion to talk about the Christian faith. But the vocabulary of this text is borrowing from the, the words that were used to describe the temple service in the Old Testament. 
And so one way of reading this text is to see that it is a description of the new covenant temple service. And we, uh, just a couple weeks back, we had a whole discussion of, uh, this was in the men's breakfast, of the church as described as the temple of God. The body of believers is now the temple. Instead of a physical structure, God dwells in his people. And the Bible uses that word to describe each Christian as a temple of the Holy Spirit, a dwelling place of God, but also to describe the church, the body of believers as the temple, the dwelling place of God. So we would say the Holy Spirit of God, the very God of very God in the person of the Holy Spirit indwells each person who trusts in Christ and he indwells the fellowship of all the persons who trust in Christ. This is one of the reasons it's important for us to actually gather together. There's an experience of, of worship, uh, an experience of the Spirit of God at work in us that we only have gathered together. Now, you can certainly experience the fellow, your fellowship with God all by yourself because the Spirit of God dwells in you. But he also dwells in us. And that ministry of the temple, that temple service is what we're talking about in Romans 12. In the end of verse 1, he says, this is your spiritual service of worship. So this is the text in which our proper reverence for, honor for, uh, devotion to, uh, recognition of, praise of, glorification of God, our proper worship is defined in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice alive and holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, as I said, we're going to take a long time to figure all that out. And right now, we're just figuring out the word at the beginning, the word therefore, because this text is, Paul is saying, so if all that I have told you in this whole letter to the Romans, if all of that great good news is true, then what? This is the beginning of the then what section of the book of Romans. So 
since we're starting in the middle, we can't start in the middle. We have to go back and sort of remember what is the therefore about. Well, that means we're, te we're teaching you the whole book of Romans. Now you can see why it might take so long. So really, we're, gonna, we're teaching you the whole book of Romans very quickly in order to get to this bit in chapter 12. So last time, we noticed that the theme of the book of Romans is in chapter 1. And the theme of the book of Romans is, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to stop for a second here and point out to you that salvation is not something that we do for the world. Nobody comes to Christ because of your powerful and persuasive arguments. That's not where the power is. Now, I'm not telling you not to make, not to make persuasive arguments. Make them all. But the power is in the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, not in how well you present it or argue for it. So just go out there and say it and see the power at work. All right. So the power is in the good news. The good news of the uncovering of the righteousness of God. That's what he says in, in, in verse 17 of chapter 1. For <laughs> in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's revealed in the person of Christ. It's seen by faith. It's received by faith. It's the power of God for salvation. So then we talked about, well, salvation from what? The righteousness of God announced in the gospel is salvation from the righteousness of God because God's own righteousness means God must execute judgment so the thing we're saved by is God, and the thing we're saved from is God. Right there in chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. Is there any ungodliness? All ungodliness, the wrath of God is against and the unrighteousness of men who, the scripture says, suppress the truth. And then in chapter 1, he goes on to elaborate about how uh, Adam and Eve first suppressed the truth and turned away from God and collapsed in sin, and all of us collapsed in Adam. And since that time... The righteousness of God is calling forth the wrath of God on all ungodliness. And the thing Christ saves us from is that. And so God in the gospel announces deliverance, salvation from the just wrath of God.
And that is good news. Salvation, then, is delivered by the demonstrated righteousness of God in the life of Jesus himself. Jesus, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, lived in perfect righteousness his whole life, never sinned even one time, never disobeyed God even one time. He says, I never do anything except what God is doing. He is always the perfect executive of God's will at all times, from the moment he was born to the moment he died. And that is the righteousness that is provided to us in his death and resurrection. And that's what we read about in Philippians, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my own obedience to the law of God, but having the righteousness of Christ that comes from his obedience to the law of God. That's perfect righteousness. My righteousness, the scripture says, even when I do the righteous thing, I do it from an unrighteous heart, and so it's messed up. But the, perf- the righteousness of Christ is perfect out of perfect devotion to his heavenly Father and expression of the love of the Father reflected in the life of the Son so that he obeys not just according to the letter of the law, but according to the heart. You remember how he preached in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, I know you've heard, you know, you shouldn't commit murder, but I'm telling you, when, you, when you're angry enough to wish someone died, that's close enough. That shows you what kind of heart you have. And if you have a sinful heart, when a sinful heart even accidentally does right, it's still sinful. But we are stuck beyond stuck, except that Jesus was not that way. Jesus lived perfectly with a perfect, genuine heart for the Father at all times. It's hard even to imagine. And that is the righteousness that is credited to you because of your faith in him. And that's what we read about last time. It's received by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is Romans 4, the whole thing. And then we come to chapter 5, which is what I'm calling a pause for singing on the greatness, on the goodness of this grace of God in Christ. And so chapter 5 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, having been justified means being declared righteous, having the very righteousness of Christ credited to you and to me, so that when God examines me on the scale of righteousness, he sees me in Christ. And so the righteousness I get credit for is the righteousness of Christ. Because the judgment I deserved, he received 
in my place. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Does this sound good yet? <laughs> For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He's mentioning that word ungodly again, that the wrath of God is poured out against the ungodliness. And who was it that Christ died for? The ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than that, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but also, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You might not have noticed, but that text mentions several times we exalt. That's an English word I might have to explain. Exalt means... <laughs> exalt! And this is what you do when your team scores. Yes! It's what we, it's how we respond to the one word sermon of Jesus Christ. It is finished. We exalt. We have been repurchased, bought back by the blood of Christ, restored to our full humanity in Christ. We exult. So, what I have, sorry, now I'm all out of breath from all that exulting. I have for you in your bulletin a list of the things this scripture mentions to sing over. First of all, we have peace with God. Now, here's what the world does. The world goes around pretending to have peace with God, denying that God could have anything against them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect, but 
you know, I'm sure I'll be okay. Well, in order to do that, I have to do two things. I have to really, really seriously overguess my own righteousness. I have to think I'm a good person. I have to pretend to forget all the things I've thought, felt, and done to serve myself at the expense of someone else or God, which is, frankly, from God's point of view, everything I have ever done, said, or thought. All my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, he says. So the first thing I got to do to think I'm just going to be okay, I already have peace with God, is to think I'm a pretty good person. The second thing I have to do is really seriously discount God's righteousness. I really have to think he's not as, you know, demanding. He's, he's about as demanding from me as my grandfather is. As in, not really at all. But that's just, we're just kidding ourselves. We're not being honest about ourselves or about God. And so when Paul says here, having been justified, granted the righteousness of Christ by faith, we have peace with God. This is good news. To have peace with God, the righteous one. You know, there was a time when the guy walking the Ark of the Covenant back to the back to Jerusalem when they put it on a cart when they weren't supposed to put it on a cart and it looked like it was going to fall off and the guy reached up to keep it from falling off the cart onto the road and touched the throne of God and dropped dead on the spot because God had had enough of the mistreatment of his throne well, I got to tell you, to me, that seems too righteous. But that is who God is. He's, a, he's not undemanding. So when Paul tells us here, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God. You should dance around the room some. Not right now. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction. We've been reconciled to the righteous God. And by the way, it is walking in fellowship with God, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, that we actually exhibit the image of God, the love of God, the grace of God to anyone else. Reconciliation with God is the good news. And so, he says, he goes on. 
through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. <laughs> we have standing in God's favor. The scripture says we come boldly before the throne of grace in Christ. We come boldly to the very place that Isaiah cried out in despair, get me out of here. I do not belong here. The prophet Isaiah, when he found himself in the, before the throne of God, we, according to the book of Hebrews, come boldly there. I can waltz in there like I own the place. I can say, hi, Dad, to God Almighty. Well, that's good news. So he says, we exult. This is the first we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult. We look forward to the glory of God. Well, if you have not been reconciled to God, if you don't have peace with God, that is not something you exult in. That is something you should be terrified of. But we have been transformed. We're not terrified anymore. We're rejoicing in Christ. This hope of the glory of God. And he says, not only this. He says that a few times in this text. And not only that. And you're going, well, that wasn't that good enough already? And then he says, and not only that. Not only that, he says, we also exult in our troubles. I'm telling you, the cross of Christ has turned everything upside down. We now are in a position to rejoice when we have difficulty in life. Because that difficulty, God makes sure, will be productive in a way that if I could see it, I'd ask for more. We know that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out. What is the character that your troubles, if you're in Christ, what is the character that your troubles produce? All you got to do is skip ahead a bit to chapter 8, where he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. So God has imputed the righteousness of Christ in you, and he is using everything that happens to you to actually produce the righteousness of Christ in and through your life. And so when trouble happens, because I know all of that is happening, I can rejoice. I, here I just want to pause and ask you a practical question. How good are you at rejoicing in trouble? I find I'm not that good. 
I got a lot of room to grow in rejoicing in trouble. Like James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various troubles. And he gives the same reason, the exact same reason. God's at work in your life. God's at work in your life. God is doing, and you know he is when you have troubles. So rejoice. I want to look through my immediate circumstance to my eternal circumstance. I want to know where I'm going to end up, not just what kind of ditch I'm in right today. So, we exult in tribulation. And we have hope in the glory of God that will come when Christ appears. You know what else comes when Christ appears? The judgment of God. But we are in the, hope, we are in the hopeful crowd, not the fearful crowd. This hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. <laughs> Christians, stop and remember to notice that Almighty God Himself is in you, lives in you in response to your faith to Christ. Jesus said it, the Holy Spirit's with you, he will be in you. And now he is. <laughs> that How do we stop smiling? The very Spirit of God is given to you and to us. And He is as God, as God the Father or God the Son. There's no less of God because it's the Spirit of God the very third person of the triune God dwells in me. I know I've heard that so many times I start getting used to it, but I should never get used to that. And we're told here, that that is how the love of God is actually communicated to you in your heart by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Ay, ay, ay. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Maybe somebody would die for a good man. But God demonstrates his own love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You, Christian, you are the object of God's unbounded love and the vessel of it. In other words, I can get it from you. <laughs> we can get it from each other because it has been poured out in our hearts in the presence of the Spirit and demonstrated by the cross of Jesus Christ. You cannot imagine the magnitude of this love that you always possess if you are in Christ. When you get discouraged, remember. That's all you got to do. Remember. You never are unloved. You are loved beyond your wildest dreams by the Lord God Almighty who demonstrated that love in the <laughs> sacrifice of his own son for your sins and communicates that love by pouring into you, yourself, his very spirit. Are we singing yet? We exult, we exult, we exult. Much more than, he says in verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So we have this future in the glory of God. Salvation from the wrath to come. You know, God, if you're in Christ, we can say this, you are already saved. You have been saved, pulled out from in front of the train that was about to run over you, yanked off the tracks by Christ. You have been saved. You are being saved because God is working in you the very righteousness he has already imputed to you. And in that, you are being saved. And you will be saved on that day when Christ returns in judgment and salvation, when you experience the resurrection that he experienced, you will be saved. We exult. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He's going to make more out of this in chapter 6 where he says, well, if we're in Christ in his death, we're in Christ in his resurrection. We have the opportunity to walk in newness of life, he says. Not only this, <laughs> we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All of this, uh, all, and all Paul's doing is pausing in the middle of his exposition of the gospel, of the revelation of God's righteousness in Christ, the imputation of God's righteousness to those who have faith in Christ. He's just stopping to tell us how good it is. How good it is. How good it is to be justified by faith. Because of that justification by faith, we have all these things and more. That is, well, about half of the therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, well, we just are taking a good, hard, long look at the details of God's mercies. And in view of that, what do you do? What is the only reasonable response to all of that? Well, it's here in Romans 12. Present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice. Make yourself a sacrifice. And don't worry, we'll figure all that out, exactly what that means. I'm going to summarize it for you now. You throw yourself on him. <laughs> you give yourself to him. You're like, okay, all right. A living sacrifice is... I belong to him. That's all. I belong to him. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing really for the first time the goodness of the good news and you want to be justified by faith, this is all there is to it. Okay. I'll have it. I'll take it. I'll trust in him and I will quit trusting all of my own nonsense and I will trust in him. That's all. We want, we want more religion sometimes, but that's all. If you're sitting here today and you've suddenly realized how fantastic the salvation is that is available to you in Christ, all you do is say, yes, I'll have it. And if you're sitting here today and you've been a Christian for a thousand years already, not, most of you don't look that old, but okay. <laughs> if you've already been a Christian for a long time, guess what you need? To say yes to the grace of God in Christ. That's all. That is all. I'm not even worried about how you're going to behave after that because God says he'll work it out. Just take it. Just take it. Let us together receive God's grace in Christ and rejoice. Father, we thank you for this amazing love, this goodness and grace, this reconciliation, this standing, this hope, this love.
this salvation. We exult, we rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.